Welcome back. Today I want to do a little reviewing and slow our roll a little bit. Um, I've been just doing episode after episode with new tools and today I think it's important to stop and kind of have a review and, and look at everything from a little bit of a different vantage point. So today I'm working out of the uh, DBT skills training handouts and worksheets by Marsha Linehan. She is the creator of DBT and this is the second edition. So the difference between her and Lane Peterson, uh, the, the two training manuals, Marsha Linehan's training manual has a ton of uh, worksheets in it. Uh, Lane Peterson's uh, skills training manual does as well. Marsha Linehan kind of breaks things down a little more than, than Lane Peterson does and, and with a little bit of a different tone to it. So I wanted to just do a, a quick review. I'm just going to flip through a few of these pages that I have marked and um, do this quick review with you, okay? Maybe not so quick. We'll see how it goes because there's, there's a lot I want to just kind of review. And, and you may be thinking this is redundant or repetitive, and that's okay. I, I will ask that you reframe the redundant or repetitive to practice and the repetition helps to sink it into your subconscious a little more so it's kind of like the more you hear it the more it becomes part of your schema just like when you listen to a song and you love it eventually you listen to it enough times that you have it memorized and that's my goal for you is that these tools become part of you, that you have them memorized, that when something comes up, you remember, dear man will work in this situation, or maybe I should try the accepts tool, or um, am I in wise mind right now, or have I practiced being in wise mind today? I, I want this to become second nature for you, and that repetition, that practice is a very important factor. And that's going to help you create the life that you feel is worth living. It's going to help you to achieve your goals. It's going to improve your relationships with yourself and others. So practice is important. So let's just jump in. Um, On page nine, Marsha Linehan has a worksheet that is, is the place where we set our goals. So it's the goals of the skills training, learning how to change your own behaviors, your emotions, and your thoughts that link to problems in living and cause misery and stress. So specific goals can start with behaviors of your own that you want to decrease. Mindlessness, emptiness, being out of touch with yourself and others, that detachment feeling, that numbness, and of course, judgmentalness, um, in, interpersonal conflict and stress, loneliness, that's something to decrease and change, absence of flexibility, difficulty with change, you want to change that, 
up and down and extreme emotions, mood dependent behaviors, relying on your emotions, difficulties in regulating your emotions, impulsive behaviors, addictions, acting without thinking, difficulty accepting reality as it is, willfulness, being stubborn, Um, skills that are good to increase are mindfulness, interpersonal effective skills, emotion regulation, and stress tolerance. So it's always good to revisit your, your, your goals for what you want to improve and kind of measure, measure your, your, your progress with maybe a one to 10 scale. One being I haven't done anything towards my goals. 10 being I've been working toward them. Um, and definitely use those diary cards. Try to do one every day. It's so important with DBT that you fill out that diary card every day and think of a situation where you used one of the skills. And she has a page here that has options for solving any problem. I used to have this framed and hanging on the wall in my office because I love it. So number one, you can solve the problem change the situation or avoid, leave, or get out of the situation for good. Number two, you can choose to feel better about the problem. You can change or regulate your emotional response to the problem. Number three, you can tolerate the problem, accept and tolerate both the problem and your response to the problem. Or four, you can stay miserable or possibly make it worse. And then right under that, it says to problem solve, use interpersonal effectiveness skills, walking the middle path, that's wise mind, using problem solving skills from emotion regulation skills. Number two, feel better about the problem, use emotion regulation. Number three, tolerate the problem, use stress tolerance and mindfulness. And number four, stay miserable. And of course, that's using no skills at all. So, in the guidelines for skills training, there are skills training assumptions. And, of course, we know that an assumption is a belief that cannot be proven, but we agree to abide by it anyway. So, the first assumption is that people are doing the best they can. All people at any given point in time are doing the best they can. People want to improve. The common characteristic of all people is that they want to improve their lives and be happy. Number three, people need to do better, try harder, and be more motivated to change. The fact that people are doing the best they can and want to do even better does not mean that these things are enough to solve the problem. Number four, people may not have caused all of your problems, but you have to solve them anyway. People have to change if their own behavioral responses. They have to change their own behavioral responses and alter their environment for their life to change. And that means a lot of practicing of these skills. Number five, new behavior has to be learned in all relevant contexts. New skills have to be practiced in the situations where the skills are needed, not just in the situation where the skills are first learned. So as you adopt these skills, you want to apply them to your life. When a crisis arises or when an uncomfortable situation arises, rather than 
avoiding it or um, using your old behaviors, it's imperative to look at that and say, hey, this is a perfect opportunity for me to use my skills right now. So I'm going to jump in and give it a shot. The more you practice, the better you get. Number six, all behaviors, actions, thoughts, emotions are caused. There is always a cause or a set of causes for our actions, thoughts, and emotions, even if we don't know what the cause is. And number seven, figuring out and changing the causes of behavior work better than judging and blaming. Judging and blaming are easy, but if we want to create change in this world, in our own world, we have to change the chains of events that cause unwanted behaviors. And then the biosocial theory by Marsha Linehan. Why do I have so much trouble controlling my emotions and my actions? That might be a question you've been asking yourself. Why is it so difficult? Um, That is an emotional vulnerability and it's biological. It's... It just simply means that some people are born that way. We're born highly sensitive. We're born an empath. And emotions rule our world. And emotions have helped us survive. However, we do have to get control over those emotions. So people are more sensitive to emotional stimuli. They can detect subtle emotional information in the environment that other people don't notice. You might experience emotions much more often than other people. Your emotions might seem to hit for no reason out of the blue. You might have more intense emotions. Your emotions hit like a ton of bricks and your emotions seem to be long lasting. Impulsivity also has a biological basis. Regulating action is harder for some than others. And we see this in in addiction pretty strongly. You find it very hard to restrain impulsive behaviors. Often without thinking, you do things that will get you in trouble or sabotage yourself. Sometimes your behavior seems to come out of nowhere. You find it really hard to be effective. Your mood gets in the way of organizing to achieve goals, and you just can't seem to control behaviors that are linked with your moods. So invalidating social environments can make it really, really hard to regulate your emotions. Um, Invalidating environment doesn't seem to understand your emotions. They'll tell you your emotions are invalid, weird, wrong, or bad. They often ignore your emotional reactions and do nothing to help you. They might say things like, don't be such a baby, quit your blubbering, quit being such a chicken and just face your problems. Or they might say, normal people do not get this emotional over these things. People who invalidate are often doing the best they can. You know how I always say people can love you only with the capacity with which they can love? They can only support you within the capacity with which they can support people. They, they, they know what they know and they don't know what they don't know. And you have to just kind of assume they're doing the best they can in the moment. They're doing what they know how to do in the moment. 
So they may not know how to validate or how important it is to validate. They may be afraid that if they validate your emotions, they'll get more emotions from you. They might be under a lot of stress or they might have too few resources themselves. They might just have a lot on their own plate. Uh, They might just be a poor fit between you and your social environment. You might be a tulip in a rose garden. I really like that analogy. You might be a tulip in a rose garden. An ineffective social environment is a huge problem when you want to learn how to regulate your emotions. Your environment might reinforce out-of-control emotions and actions. If people give in when you get out of control, it will be hard for you to get in control. If other people command you to change, but they don't coach you on how to do it, it'll be hard to keep trying to change. It is the transactions that count between people and their social environment. Biology in the social environment will influence the person. The person reciprocates and influences his or her social environment. The social environment reciprocates and influences you, and so on. So it's a cycle. Okay, I'm going to flip over to chain analysis. I want to revisit chain analysis. So step one, you're describing the problem behavior. Step two, you're looking at the prompting event. Step three, what made you vulnerable? Step four, describe excruciating details in the chain of events that led to your problem behavior. Step five, what were the consequences? And then to change the behavior, you'll use step six, describe the skillful behavior to replace the problem links in the chain. Step seven, develop prevention plans to reduce vulnerabilities. And step eight, repair important or significant consequences of the problem behavior. So in step one, when you're describing the problem behavior, you want to write down, like, did you yell at somebody? Did you throw an item? Did you have a huge emotional outburst or a breakdown? Did you dissociate and shut down? Um, Did you not use your skills training? Did you put off or refuse to do your skills practice prior to the event? Be very specific and detailed. Use facts. Identify exactly what you did, what you said, what you thought, and what you felt. Identify also what you did not do. Describe the intensity of that behavior and other characteristics of that behavior. Describe the problem behavior in enough detail that an actor in a play or a movie could recreate the behavior exactly as you described it. If the behavior is something you did not do, ask yourself whether you did not know you needed to do it, you forgot it and later it came into your mind to do it, you put it off when you did think of it, you refused to do it when you thought of it, or you were willful and rejected doing it, or some other behavior, thought, or emotion that interfered with doing it. Describe the specific prompting event. What started the whole chain of behavior? Start with your environmental event that started the chain. Always begin with some event in your environment, even if it doesn't seem to you that the environment event caused the problem behavior. 
So you want to ask yourself, what exactly, what exact event precipitated the start of this chain reaction? When did the sequence of events that led to the problem behavior begin? When did the problem start? What was going on right before the thought or the impulse for the problem behavior started? What were you doing, thinking, feeling, or imagining at the time? Why did the problem behavior happen on that day instead of the day before? And then you're looking at the vulnerability factors. Were you physically ill? (coughs) (coughs) Funny that I cough right after I say that, huh? (coughs) Were you lacking sleep? Were you hungry? Were you injured? Were you, were you under the influence of drugs or alcohol or prescription drugs? Were there stressful events, positive or negative? Were there intense emotions such as sadness, anger, fear, or loneliness? Previous behaviors of your own that you found stressful coming into your mind. Did that happen? So describing in excruciating detail the chain of events, actions or things that you do, body sensations and feelings, conditions, beliefs, expectations, and thoughts, events in the environment or things that other people did, feelings and emotions that you experienced. And what was the consequence? Be very specific. How did other people react immediately and later? How did you feel immediately following the behavior? How did you feel later? And what effect did the behavior have on you and your environment? and describing in detail. This is where you could have used a skillful behavior to head off the problem behavior. So what key links were most important in leading to the problem behavior? In other words, if you had eliminated these behaviors, the problem behavior probably would not have happened. So you want to go back to the chain of behaviors following the prompting event. Circle each link where if you had done something different, you would have avoided that problem. What could you have done differently at each link in the chain of events to avoid the problem behavior? And what coping behaviors or skillful behaviors could you have used? And then you want to describe in detail a prevention strategy. So you're taking a real life experience that you just went through with the chain analysis. And you go through all that detail of writing everything down, every link in the chain. This is a perfect opportunity to create a prevention plan so that when something similar or even the exact same thing happens again, you'll be prepared. You're coping ahead. You're using your ABCs, right? You're coping ahead. So describe what you're going to do to repair any damage you've done to any relationship as a result of this chain analysis. Look at the harm or stress you caused others and the harm or stress you caused for yourself. Repair what you damaged. You don't bring flowers to repair a window that you broke. You fix a window. So repair a betrayal of trust by being very trustworthy rather than trying to fix it with love letters or constant apologies. Repair failure by succeeding, not by berating yourself. So you're going to use opposite action. Whatever you did, you have to undo it by being the opposite and show the person that you can be trusted, that you are learning to control yourself and 
that you care enough to make amends. Show them. Your words are pointless, especially if you've had a lot of behaviors over and over and you've told the person, I'm sorry, I love you, I'll change. I'm sorry, I love you, I'll change. Eventually, people get really sick of your shit. They get really sick of hearing the same thing over and over. And your words are nothing more than a manipulation. You really have to have that change in behavior if you want to repair your relationships and have it mean something and have it actually work. So remember, sometimes we're the toxic ones and we have to check ourselves. And this chain analysis is a perfect way to do that. Okay, so that was a summary on that. Wise mind. I want to summarize wise mind again because it's so important that you're practicing wise mind as often as possible. Ideally, you're being mindful and you're in wise mind all the time. So in in this workbook, the goals of mindfulness practice are to reduce suffering and increase happiness increase control of your mind, experience reality exactly as it is without all of those cognitive distortions. And we want to avoid mindlessness. What mindlessness, we've all done it. You grab your favorite bag of chips, you sit down to watch a movie, and before you know it, you've eaten the whole bag of chips. You mindlessly ate a bag of chips. So you want to you want to avoid mindlessness. Not only for binge eating purposes, but uh, you want to intentionally live with awareness in the present moment. You want to wake yourself up from automatic or rote behaviors and participate and be present in your life. You want to do it without judging or rejecting the moment, noticing consequences, discerning helpfulness or harmfulness, but letting go of evaluating, avoiding, suppressing, or blocking the present moment. You want to be without attachment to the moment. Don't attach yourself to any one moment. Attending to the experience of each new moment rather than ignoring the present by clinging to the past or grabbing for the future. So don't attach yourself to moments from the past or perceived moments that could happen in the future. And as you heard me say that, how many stupid thoughts are cognitive distorted thinking patterns did you detect? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, what are mindfulness skills? Mindfulness skills are specific behaviors to practice that when you put them together, make up mindfulness. Meditation, that's practicing mindfulness skills while you're sitting, standing, or lying quietly for a predetermined period of time. It could be five minutes, it could be 30 minutes, it could be an hour. When you're meditating, you focus on your mind, you focus on your body, emotions, you look at the thoughts, but you don't attach to them, and you focus on your breathing. You open the mind, paying attention to whatever comes into awareness. There are many forms of meditation, 
that differ by whether you're opening the mind or focusing on the mind. And if focusing, depending on what the focus is of our attention, meditation is important. Contemplative prayer, such as Christian centering prayers, the rosary, Jewish Jewish Shema, Islamic Sulfi practice, or Hindu Raja Yoga is a spiritual mindfulness practice. If you're an atheist, you can just listen to the, the sound of your breathing and think about how cool your body is, how it does all these amazing things, and it's magical, or not, if you're an atheist. <laughs> um, mindfulness movement. Um, this includes yoga, martial arts, uh, tai chi, aikido, karate, spiritual dancing, hiking, horseback riding, and walking in nature. Those are good ways to practice mindfulness. So we know the reasonable mind is cool, rational, and task-focused. You're looking at facts, reason, and logic. Values and feelings are not important to the reasonable mind. In the emotion mind, your mind is hot, mood-dependent, emotion-focused, and you're ruled by moods and feelings and urges. Facts, reason, and logic are not important to you when you're in emotional mind. Wise mind, of course, is right in the middle. This is wisdom within you, seeing the value of both reason and emotion, bringing left and right brain together and staying on the middle path. Here's a couple of wise mind practices um, to help you get yourself in that wise mind. This one's a quite simple one, and you can use the breathing technique to uh, utilize this, and it's very easy. So while you breathe in, you say to yourself, wise, and while you breathe out, you say, mind. You focus your attention on the word wise, then focus it again entirely on the words on the word mind, and you continue till you sense that you have settled into wise mind. Um, here's another one that's really cool, and a lot of people say they like this one. It's walking down a spiral staircase. So imagine within you is a spiral staircase, winding down to your very center. Starting at the top, walk very slowly down the staircase, going deeper and deeper within yourself. Notice the sensations. Rest by sitting on a step or turn on lights on the way down if you wish. Do not force yourself further than you want to go. Notice the quiet. As you reach the center of yourself, settle your attention there, perhaps in your gut or your abdomen or your sacral chakra or your belly button. Um, just focus all of your energy there and sit there. And then a stone flake on a lake. I like this one a lot. This is one of my favorites personally. Um, so imagine that you're, you're by a clear blue lake on a beautiful sunny day. And then imagine that you are a small flake of stone. You're flat and you're light, like a skipping stone. And imagine that you have been tossed out onto the lake and you're now gently and slowly floating through the calm, clear blue water to the lake's smooth, sandy bottom. And notice what you see. Notice what you feel as you float down, maybe in slow circles, floating toward the bottom. As you reach the bottom of the lake, settle your attention there within yourself. 
Notice the serenity of the lake. Become aware of the calmness and the quiet deep within you. And as you reach the center of yourself, settle your attention there and just sit there. Sit with it. Enjoy that peace. Any thoughts that come into your mind, observe, forgive, and release the thought and just sit there in your quiet. So those are a couple of my favorites for getting yourself into that wise mind state. Those are also mini meditations that can be very effective throughout the day if you're having a lot of stress. Think, let me get into wise mind. Let me do something mindfully. Um, You can also just focus on your breath coming in and out. If you use the breathing technique as you inhale, you might picture a white or purple colored healing light going into your lungs, into your bloodstream, and your heart is pumping that beautiful healing light through your body, and you're holding your breath for four seconds, and then you exhale from the mouth, and you could make a sound like, or a big sigh, and if you think about it, that sounds like wind or the ocean, so you could picture You're exhaling dark clouds of stress, anger, frustration, sadness, and the ocean is whisking it away with each wave, or the wind is blowing it away, and it's recycling it into beautiful glitter that will rain down upon the world and create positivity. So that's another quick one you can do. So uh, let's jump into the what skills and the how skills. And then I promise I'll stop because this is getting to be a long episode. (laughs) So um, take hold of your what skills. I know in the last episode I talked about the how and the what briefly. Um, What. So you want to observe. Notice your body sensations coming through your eyes, ears, nose, skin, and tongue. You want to think about what do you see, what do you hear, What do you smell? What do you feel? And what do you taste? Pay attention on purpose to the present moment. Control your attention, but not what you see. Push away nothing and cling to nothing. Practice wordless matching. Watch thoughts come into your mind and let them slip right by like clouds in the sky. Notice each feeling rising and falling like waves in the ocean. Observe both inside and outside of yourself. Describe. Put words on the experience. When a feeling or a thought arises and you do something, acknowledge it. For example, you could say, sadness has just enveloped me, or stomach muscles are tightening, or a thought, I can't do this, has come into my mind. Label what you observe. Put a name on your feelings. Label the thought just as a thought. Label the feeling just as a feeling. And an action just as an action. Unglue your interpretations and opinions from the facts. Describe the who, what, when, and where that you observe with only the facts. Void of your opinions. And remember, if you can't observe it through your senses, you can't describe it. And then participate. Throw yourself completely into activities of the current moment. Do not separate yourself from what is going on. 
and that could be dancing, cleaning, talking to a friend, feeling happy, or feeling sad. Become one with whatever you are doing, completely forgetting yourself. Throw attention to the moment. Act intuitively from the wise mind. Do just what is needed in each situation. A skillful dancer on the dance floor, one with the music and your partner, neither willful nor sitting on your hands. Go with the flow. Respond with spontaneity. And now the how. Taking hold of your mind with how skills. Non-judgmentally. See but do not evaluate as good or bad. Only see the facts. Accept each moment like a blanket spread out on a lawn, accepting both the rain and the sun and each leaf that falls upon it. Acknowledge the difference between the helpful and the harmful, the safe and the dangerous, but don't judge either. Acknowledge your values, your wishes, your emotional reactions, but do not judge them. When you find yourself judging, don't judge the fact that you're judging. (laughs) Don't be a judgy judgerton. Just don't judge and don't judge yourself for judging. Just say, oh, I was being judgmental. Let me stop. Being one mindfully. Revert yourself to now. Be completely present in this moment. Don't look at the past. Don't think about the future. Continue to ground yourself in the moment. Use all five of your senses if you have to do it. Do a quick breathing technique, whatever you have to do, but stay in the moment. Do one thing at a time. Notice the desire to be half present, to be somewhere else, to go somewhere else in your mind, to do something else, to multitask, and then come back to one thing at a time. When you are eating, simply eat. When you are walking, simply walk. When you are worrying, worry. When you are planning something, plan something. When you are remembering, then remember. Let go of distractions. If other actions or thoughts or strong feelings distract you, go back to what you are doing again and again and again. If you see a squirrel and you notice the squirrel and you say, oh, look, a squirrel. Take yourself back to what you were just doing and say, okay, never mind the squirrel. Let's get back to where we were. Be mindful of your goals in every situation and do what is necessary to achieve them. Control your mind. If you find you're doing two things at once, stop and go back to one thing at a time. The absolute opposite of multitasking. You cannot have a heartfelt conversation while you're texting somebody else on your phone. You cannot be watching a movie and and listen to your favorite playlist of Stevie Nicks. It's just too much. You, You need to focus on one thing at a time. Focus on what is working. Don't let emotion mind get in the way of being effective. Play by the rules that you have created for you. Act as skillfully as you can. Do what you need to for the situation you are in, not the situation you wish you were in, and not the situation that is fair, not the situation that is more comfortable, but the situation that you are actually in. And let go of willfulness and sitting on your hands. Don't be stubborn. 
be willing to go with the flow a little bit and use your skills. How to practice being non-judgmental. That seems self-explanatory, right? So you're leaving out comparisons, judgments, and assumptions. You practice observing judgmental thoughts and statements by saying a judgment thought arose in my mind. Count judgmental thoughts and statements by moving objects or pieces of paper from one pocket to another, or by clicking a sports counter, or by making, marking a piece of paper. Tally up how many times you are judgmental in a day, and you'll be surprised how judgmental you really are. Um, then you can replace those judgmental thoughts and statements with non-judgmental thoughts and statements. Describe the facts. Describe only what you see with your senses. Describe the consequences of the event only with the facts. Describe your own feelings and remember that emotions are not judgments. Observe your judgmental facial expressions, postures, and tone of voice, including the tone of voice in your head when you are silently judging. (laughs) Pay attention to those. You want to do the opposite. If you grimace when you see a homeless person and go, Ew, look at that filthy person you're passing a judgment, so you'll want to practice sending them loving kindness instead. If you see, uh, if you're a woman and you're feeling insecure and you see another woman wearing a mini skirt and she has knockout legs and a beautiful body and a perfect waist and you feel that tinge of jealousy and in your head you think, look at that whore, oh, (laughs) you just judged her. Your eyes probably squinted. They probably moved up and down her body for a second in absolute envy. Make sure you are aware when you're doing that and you want to switch it to loving kindness and a congratulations. I wish her loving kindness good for her that she feels good in her own body and she's not walking around shamefully covering herself. Good for her. I strive to feel that good about myself someday too. Good for her. You know, you have to turn it around. Tell someone what you did today non-judgmentally or about an event that occurred. Stay very concrete. Only relate to what you observe directly and only the facts. No judgment. Write out a non-judgmental description of an event that prompted an emotion. Write out a non-judgmental blow-by-blow account of particularly important episodes in your day. Talk about what happened in your environment. What were your thoughts, feelings, and actions? Uh, Leave out any analysis of why it happened or why you thought you felt or acted as you did. Just stick to the facts. And imagine a person you're angry with. Bring to mind what the person has done that has caused so much anger. Try to become that person, seeing life from that person's point of view. Imagine that person's feelings, thoughts, hopes, fears, wishes insecurities, uh, confidences. Imagine that person's history and what has happened in his or her history. Imagine understanding that person. Imagine being able to relate to that person. When judgmental, when you're judgmental, practice half smiling or willing hands. Okay, I promise this is it. 
one more thing and and I I'll stop. Ideas for practicing one mindfulness. Have awareness while you're making coffee or tea. So you put on a co- a pot of coffee. Uh, maybe you're having company or you're going to drink it by yourself. Do each movement very slowly. Use all five of your senses. Don't let one detail of your movements go by without being aware of it. Know that your hand lifts the pot by its handle. Know that you are pouring this fragrant liquid gold tea or coffee into a cup. Follow each step into awareness. Breathe in the scent. Look at the steam, feel the warmth of the cup, and then taste the coffee on your tongue. Awareness while washing the dishes. You want to uh, wash the dishes very consciously. Like each bowl is an object of contemplation. Think about each bowl as being sacred. Follow your breath to prevent your mind from straying. Don't try to hurry and get the job over with. Don't think of it as a task. Think of washing the dishes as the most important thing in your life in that moment. And you want to take in the color of the bubbles, the smell of the soap, the warmth of the water, the the feel of the dishes after you wash them and they're smooth and clean and shiny and you can see your reflection. And maybe chew some gum while you do that because I don't recommend eating soap. (laughs) Um, Awareness while washing your clothes. Don't wash too many clothes at one time. Select three or four things. Find the most comfortable position to sit or stand so that you don't get a backache. Scrub the clothes consciously. Hold your attention on every movement of your hands and arms. Maybe this is a hand wash only garment that you have. Smell it. Feel it. Watch the bubbles rinse away as you rinse it. As you rinse it away, maybe your mind and body will feel just as clean and fresh as the clothes. And remember to keep that smile on your face and make sure you're aware of your breathing. Awareness while cleaning the house. Divide your work into stages. Straighten things up. Put things away. Scrub the toilet. Scrub the bathroom. Sweep the floors. Allow a good length of time for each individual thing that you do move slowly and on purpose focus your attention fully on the task when you're placing a book on the shelf look at the book be aware of what the book is know that you are in the process of putting it on the shelf and know that you intend to put it in that specific place And now that your hand reaches for the book and picks it up, avoid any harsh movements. Maintain awareness of your breath, especially if your thoughts wander. Take a slow motion bath. Give yourself 30 to 45 minutes to take a bath. Don't hurry even for a second. So you're preparing the bath water. Let every motion be slow and methodical as you get in you feel the warmth on your toe then up to your ankle then you finally sit down in the water and you feel the warmth of the water on your body and the part of your body sticking out of the tub sitting up is is a different temperature maybe notice the difference and then as you slide down notice how you feel sliding into the water close your eyes and Picture yourself somewhere beautiful or just keep your eyes open and know that you're in the tub. Um, 
If there are bubbles, look at the bubbles. Feel how they gently, slowly pop on your skin. If there's oil, essential oil, smell smell the scents that you've put in your tub. Feel the softness on your skin of the oil. Just really submerge yourself into the bath. And when you get out, think of yourself as being cleansed and purified. And make sure you're mindful of your breathing. Okay. Last part. Observe when you begin to get angry or hostile with somebody and ask yourself, is this anger effective? Observe yourself when you start wanting to be right instead of effective. Give up being right and switch to being effective. Notice willfulness in yourself. Are you being stubborn and how is that benefiting you or anybody else? Drop the willfulness and practice acting effectively instead and notice the difference. When you feel angry or hostile or like you're going to do something ineffective, practice willing hands. All right, thank you for hanging in there and I hope this little reframe and review was helpful for you. So go out there and practice mindfulness. That's your challenge for the day. How many times today can you be mindful, even if it's only for one minute on a break or five minutes or 30 minutes? How will you choose to be mindful today? Just practicing that mindfulness every day really, really helps all the other skills to be more effective. So thank you for tuning in. And as always, I appreciate all the comments and constructive criticism. And I want to give a shout out to everybody who's reached out to me at my website. I so appreciate your comments and I appreciate hearing from you. So please continue to reach out. And thank you so much for listening to your therapy tools.